Flyover Footy. You might be listening to us on the Big 550 KTRS. Thank you so much for joining us in whatever way you might be listening to us or watching us. We are on YouTube. Uh, I've got Matt Baker here with me today. Matt, how's it going, man? As always, Phil, great to be with you. Great to be doing this. We always talked in the offseason how it was, you know, sparse and here and there and trying to scrape news every once in a while. I really feel like this week we've stepped into the thick of things and it's it's fun. We've got three games in eight days. It's just it's a good time. Yeah, this is when, you know, like training becomes less often and the teams start playing game after game after game and and we as fans get to enjoy that we're pretty lucky uh, but that also means we're going to be previewing and reviewing a lot more games so we got a lot to fit in this in this a episode don't we? a lot to talk about so we're going to start off with the open cup match and, and we'll try to limit ourselves you know here at flyover footy we love the open cup so we'll, we'll do our best here matt why don't you get us started with the lineup as usual and we'll, we'll get talking about it yeah, and we figured it would be a rotated lineup, you know, three matches in eight days when you're at the time leading uh, the Sporter Shield, you're in the top of the West, you're you're doing what expansion teams don't do in MLS, and so it makes sense to prioritize that competition as far as your first stringers go. So with the Open Cup against Union Omaha this past Tuesday, we ran out Ben Lunt in net. We had Selmir Pedro, Lucas Bartlett, Josh Yarrow, and Akil Watts on our back line. Miguel Perez and Indiana Vasilev in the midfield. Isak Jensen... As AZL Jackson, Tomas Ostrak, and Celio Pompeu kind of doing what they do in the attack, right? It's it's hard to it's hard to pin down exactly what positions they were. Even Bradley Carnell alluded to it's hard to pin him down. He referred to uh, four false nines, four number tens. I mean, they at any given time they were just all over the place. And the closest I guess we came is Celio Pompeu referred to himself as uh, number nine on the right hand side. <laughs> so that was exciting to see that entire lineup full of some guys who have seen MLS minutes in Lucas Bartlett. Indiana Vasilev was, I called him in training, uh, the senior man on the team, which he, he kind of just took, he didn't take offense to it, but he was basically like, no, 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 that's not me. That's not me. I guess in minutes he, he, he acquiesced to that because he is the minutes leader this year, but you know, Josh Yara wore the captain's armband, uh, AZL Jackson had some time to shine, who had been seeing minutes with City 2. Tomas Ostrock back in the lineup. Celio Pompeu starting. A lot of uh, exciting minutes for these guys. And boy, Phil, did they make the best of it. They did, yeah. And, and I think this is what we should spend most of our time on, just because the lineup is kind of the story. The guys that got to play, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. the guys that aren't always starting. And and you have to mention that Klaus went out with a, a, a quad injury. And so mm-hmm. if we ever thought he might play in this game at all, which I, I doubt anyway, um, that wasn't going to happen, obviously. Yep. And then the big news is the Sam Adeneron. I think we're going to touch on it later. But, of course, you have to talk about it here, that that loan – you know, that's this is the game of the year for me, yep. the main game of the year that I would expect Sam to start and really get a chance to shine. And he wasn't available due to the loan. So um, which he played in the Open Cup a day a day later for San Antonio, which is funny um, tied to San Antonio. But you mentioned it having four false nines, as Carnell put it uh, seriously or unseriously. That's what it was. And I, I, I loved seeing it. Without having a true number nine, I was really worried about this game because Omaha, like Union Omaha is, they play the spoilers every year in the Open Cup. They do really Mm -hmm. well in their own league, USL League One. And I was really worried not having a true nine. And I thought when we saw what this lineup might be, we were, you know, I was like, man, who's going to play the nine? Who is going to do the hold up play? And two things that I noticed, I'm glad that it turned out to be four false nines just 
rotating like crazy, yeah. just going wherever they felt comfortable. And you saw there was there was some solidity in the way that they looked in defense, right? There was yes. definitely a four four two. You could tell who was supposed to be playing where. It looked it looked like Ostruck and Celio were playing up top, so yes. that was easy to figure out. But then once the attack happened, my goodness, um, Azil Jackson especially was everywhere, even though he was playing that right wing. So anyway, it worked, right? The rotation yes. was crazy. They really worked together well. They were able to let their quality shine, and that was really fun to see. Um, and I'm glad that it, it went the way it did because I was sincerely worried about Union Omaha, and clearly I was I was a little too worried, wasn't I? Well, well, not to begin with. I think it was warranted because you mentioned Klaus. We never expected Klaus to play. Once it became clear that this was going to be a rotated squad, you see Klaus... Uh, having gone the full 90 for most of the games before this, Nico Giochini going the full 90 against Colorado, you know that they're not going to play. Injury notwithstanding, right? So that's, you know, this is going to be a Sam Adeneron starring match. And then the news came out that it was on Monday when we did the Open Cup presser with Bradley Carnell, where he said straight up, Sam's not going to be an option because they're respecting the process for the loan. And that took everybody by surprise. for good measure, because like you said, this is this is his game ready made his opportunity to start just like a Pedro, just like a, a Josh Yarrow, just like Isak Jensen. These guys who maybe they've come in for a few minutes here and there. Adeneron's only played four games and I believe 87 minutes for City, hmm. but, you know, no significant amount of time. This was his opportunity. So there was a lot of conversation uh, between Monday and Tuesday about why would they loan him out? when they have no strikers to really play with. With People were talking about the Klaus injury, Joe Acchini going 90, and I understood that to an extent, but the fact is this loan was in the works before the Colorado game. No. It's not something that just developed in the last couple of hours before the transfer window deadline on Tuesday. It was, I think it was Tuesday, might have been Monday night, but it was one of those things where they knew going into the Open Cup what their plan of action was. They knew they weren't going to have a dinner on. So it wasn't like they were caught off guard mm. by having Klaus and Joachini unavailable because I don't think they were ever intending to. They knew what they were doing going into this. And I think just like a lot of what we've seen in front office moves, in personnel moves, this organization knows what they're doing with their players. They yeah, know what they they're doing. They weren't worried at all about that no. nine or else they wouldn't have let Sam go on loan like that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So any consternation about the depth at the striker position, I think, was alleviated entirely by this match. And and you mentioned it. Union Omaha is not a pushover club, mm-hmm. right? They, we talked on the fallout show, Santi and me, about how they won USL League One a couple years ago, how they beat two MLS teams last year in the US Open Cup. So going against this team was a test to an extent it was you could see it as kind of a trial run of can this formation work can we roll out speedy uh good ball handlers that can just run all over the place in Pompeu, jackson ostrock and jensen and can they make it work and they did and they did very well obviously mm-hmm. but that to me more than anything says we're gonna be fine with sam adeneron going out on loan yeah and i'm, I'm not gonna say we're gonna be fine uh, there was one thing that that i really loved in this game and it was um you know isaac jensen is not someone i've been gushing over this season but um you know in this game you know especially if you look at what we did in colorado like in the first half i was like if we just bomb it forward to alm who's being towered over by a defender every time we send it to him and we lose the ball 
again. You know, it was like the 10th or 12th time it happened in the game. I was like, stop banging your heads against the wall. What are we doing? And so I was getting frustrated. Um, yes, they could have sent it to Klaus, and, and they weren't always getting it to him. But I, I was like, if we don't have a true nine, this is what I was worried about. They're just going to keep sending it to the winger. He's going to get overpowered by these Union Omaha defenders, which is what they shine at. And we're not going to get the ball. We're not going to be able to progress the, the ball in this game. And it was really cool to have Isaac Jensen, who is big for a winger, right? 6'1 or so, you know, yep. 180 pounds or more. For and, a 19-year-old. Right, exactly. That too. Um, and he was able to be our target attacker. Yes, he's on the wing, but we were able to send the ball to him. And the thing that, you know, I'm not saying we're cured um, is that, you know, Union Omaha left the 10 position wide open um, for the defense to send it into. So, you know, we saw Jackson kind of cut in and kept the ball All wide open the space. Because there were a lot of attackers behind him clearing the way for him, so they were everyone was doing their job. But I'm not sure that's going to happen in the future if we don't have you know a Klaus in the next game. That's something to watch for in Portland, which I'm sure we'll get we'll get to. But Isaac Jensen served his role per- perfectly. Perhaps uh, we can talk quickly about Pedro. I wasn't terribly impressed about Pedro in this game. Well, Carnell said about Jensen that he's one of the best forward defenders that we have. He referred that to too, him as yes. He referred to him as having a real ability to sense out and sniff a play and getting ahead of the game, being proactive in his mind, not just his body and able to pounce and jump on a loose ball. So he's that guy you can send the ball up to, but he's also going to go into the duels. He's also going to put himself into physical positions to to make sure that and he was great with the ball at his feet, too. There were so many times where you could see he just wanted to beat defenders 1v1 or 1v2 in some ways and in sometimes it worked sometimes it didn't but i'm glad he tried the entire time because he's one of those talented guys with the ball and not just with his body but with the ball and on pedro i think jensen bailed pedro out a time or two and carnell didn't have negative things to say about pedro coming into this pedro hadn't had a lot of minutes he he came in uh twice before this in late minute opportunities he didn't I, i would say to call him um, a poor performance so far is too far. I, I don't agree. think that's I don't think that's appropriate. Um, but he hasn't stood out. But then again, he, up until this open cup match, he didn't have very many minutes. And Carnell's comments on Pedro is that he's a high level player. He's a good physical profile, mm. good speed, great one v one defender. But Carnell was also very clear to say now it's his job, Carnell's to get him going to those next levels to to he called him a work in progress and says that uh, Pedro is going to have a kind of a sales pitch to, to play for 90 minutes. And that's what he did. And now Carnell's talking about how Selmer's a guy that he needs to work with every single day to make sure that we know what the principles are uh, to uh, being spoken about that committed to. He knows he's a great guy and he tries and he wants to do he wants to work so hard and do uh, what he can for the betterment of the team. All of that leading me to believe that he knows Pedro's not quite there yet. And so he wa- he knows the talent that's there. And I think this game highlighted a little uh, how much of a work in progress he was. Whereas some of the other guys, like a Salio Pompeu, um, like a, an Akio Watts, or especially Indiana Vasilev, my goodness, the way that they were able to facilitate the ball up the field and take everything in the attacking third to the creative max was was impressive from those guys so you see a little bit of um a a separation from some of these guys Mm -hmm. in talent where they are and what their next steps are going to be 
Yeah, and I just want to say a couple things about Pedro. And I, these are, you know, this isn't the whole story because I think if someone was to watch Akil Watts for the first time, someone might say, man, that guy's not trying hard enough. Well, he's a smart player and he knows about positioning. So um, we've noticed that even though he doesn't look like he's running as hard as, as some of our other team, uh, other players on the team, he is still in the right place in most cases. So I'm not yeah. saying I'm right by saying what I'm about to say. But it is something, it's hard to watch me see Pedro, you know, not out of a fault of his own or bad positioning per se, but a winger or an attacker is going to get by the left back from time to time. And there were times when Akil Watts, or sorry, then Azil Jackson or Jensen was beating him back to his own position, you know, trying to track back and defend. And that was hard for me to watch. And I'm not saying that that's damning. I just know... Um, that's as a fan, it looks like he's not trying that hard and I'm trying to figure out what that means in real life. So, uh, just something yeah. I've been watching for, but this was a perfect game for Pedro. If it means he just needs to get up to snuff up to the right level and he's still developing fine with me. I think that's true for Jensen and a lot of other players that played in this game. And so I look forward to seeing more of that in the future. And I know we're going to dive a little bit deeper into this match in the Open Cup in general in our wind down. But the last thing I really wanted to touch on is Edward Leuven in this game. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people were shocked after we went up 4 nothing that Leuven came in at the 70th minute for Tomas Ostrak. And Carnell addressed this after the game, saying that Edu came to them, said he feels really good, he would like to play. So it's one you put in the bank and you go and get him on when they knew somebody like Johnny Nelson um, wasn't going to really get in or didn't have – Pedro was not coming out of the game. So they had an opportunity to bring in Leuven, who slotted right into that number 10 right in the midfield. And coming in at 4 nothing, Leuven, having played 90 minutes just about every single game, one of our key contributors, if not the biggest contributor, especially in the midfield. And with Klaus out, he's our only designated player on the field. There was, If there's any negative comment after the game from the fan base, I feel it was surrounding why would you bring in Leuven at that point and risk mm-hmm. an injury. Stroud came in later on too, uh, six minutes later, but it was Leuven everybody was kind of pointing to because Stroud has come out here and there, Leuven not so much. So I asked Carnell uh, at the press conference on Thursday, what what's the balance between a player comes to you and they said they're ready to go, they want to get in, but you as a coach have to, have to maintain that, that – fitness for a player for three games in in eight days and beyond and he said that carnell said it's a little bit of a feeling using the data and science and looking at how edu's built as an athlete he always wants to do everything he's unhappy when when i take him out carnell said carnell said it's his job to please the player and to listen to the science and all the aspects that go into that Mm -hmm. so i loved how carnell finished by saying he made a compromise with leuven to go somewhere along the line, uh, somewhere along the line, they made a compromise to give him 20 minutes of, of gameplay. Makes me think Leuven pushed to start that game, and the the compromise was no, 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 absolutely not. We need to rest you. <laughs> We're going to put you in for 20 minutes and give you a run out because that's the kind of competitive player you are. And and I feel in that context, Leuven was smart enough with his gameplay. Putting him in at the 10 is a little more. Um, it's less stressful in a way because you're not putting your oh, body yeah. on the line for in the defensive half. You're able to do a little more creativity without trying to uh, be physical. So it was about as protective as you can be with a guy like Leuven. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's kind of the background of why he entered the game. 
it was funny to see him come in. You could tell that he wanted in. (laughs) And, you know, I would have done the same thing. So this isn't a critique or it's not a negative comment. But, you know, it since the game turned out the way it was, it would have been cool to have academy players to bring in. And, and Matt, I know you've gone into the roster rules for that. So we would have had to like spend some, some uh, roster capital in a way um, to put them into that game. And we didn't know it was going to be that close. Like I said, I was more very much worried about losing this game. So I don't think I would have done anything differently, but you know, I definitely didn't want Nico in there, Joe Akini, because he's going to have to really put in a lot of minutes with Klaus out and with Sam out for that matter. Um, And so I'm glad he didn't go in. I thought Leuven coming in and playing at the 10, Matt, you really crushed that. And it was just the last thing I'll say is that it was funny to see Leuven come in and immediately get the ball, like almost immediately because his positioning is so perfect. It was just he was the guy to get it to. And he tried to cut back and pass at least four times before he finally got the ball in too good of a spot and scored a goal um, almost too easy for a guy like him. Um, So it was funny to see him come in at the 10. Yes, he wanted to play, but he clearly was trying to to give the the goals to other people before he got his own goal. It was funny to watch. So 5-1, we beat Union Omaha in the third round, move on to the fourth round. You ready to move on a little bit to the next topic? Absolutely, yeah. Go take it ahead, Matt. All right, so so this week uh, we, we had some good news, actually, after the Open Cup. No city injuries to report after the U.S. Open Cup. So we're sitting at a healthy roster minus... The, uh, the before mentioned Klaus, who from previous timelines, uh, as we're recording this on Thursday, has about seven to 10 days from the initial estimate of 10 to 14. Julu Blome is still out for another three to four weeks. But good news on Blome today at practice, he was seen running around the field. So he's getting some some action in where he had a, a groin injury, groin strain. So it's good to see him moving around, smiling. Mm-hmm. That was that was good, reassuring. And um, Joachim Nilsson is still out. No time timeline beyond late May reevaluation. So that's great to not have any further injuries picked up from the Open Cup. And on the U.S. Open Cup front, uh, today we found out that the next opponent for St. Louis City is going to be the Chicago Fire on May 9th at SeatGeek Stadium. Oh, baby. Which means that we will be traveling to Chicago for the Open Cup on the 9th and MLS competition on the 13th. Back-to-back away games at Chicago. Is that their suburban field that they used to play yeah. at? Oh, so we, fun. We, we, yeah, yeah, and they played their third-round match there, too. So that seems to be their Open Cup home. Okay. They're going to go there, come home, assumedly, and then go up to Soldier Field again on that Saturday. And we also found out that the League's Cup schedule is out. That's the other big scheduling news. Mm-hmm. And that's the tournament that was going to start in mid-July. We play the uh, Columbus Crew and Club America in our group stage. And the Columbus Crew game, I believe, is a 7 o'clock Central start, but the Club America game, our home game, is a 9 o'clock Central <laughs> start on a Thursday in uh, in July. So that's that one's going to be a little rough time-wise, but, you know, it's not a bad way to beat the Heat. I'll say that. Exactly. I was I was with Stu. Stuart, Stuart had a perfect timeline where he was like, 9 o'clock, what the heck? And I think Brian Simpson, of course, yep. with the uh, practical mind that he has, yep. was uh, that it would be good for the Heat. And he's right. He's right. Good I'm for good the Heat. This. And, and kids, at least it's in the summer, so the opportunity is there if you want to stretch them out a little bit. I don't know if I will, but... <laughs> um, and one last newsworthy thing, you were mentioning injuries there, and uh, Manuel Vates kind of hinted that perhaps Klaus won't be out the full 10 to 14 days. Now, that's I'm fingers. sure the club would never announce that kind of thing, but of course not. Manuel has a way of being right from time to time here. So And Klaus was seen at practice this week smiling, walking around, so... Good. Let's let's hope because uh, it's it's the Nico Joachini show until then. Yeah, yeah. Which I mean, it will play out. That'll be fun in its own way. But we all love ourselves some Klaus. 
Yep. And so if you're joining us right now, we're Flyover Footy on the Big 550 KTRS talking about the U.S. Open Cup. And we're getting ready to pivot into our Portland Timbers preview. But before we do, real quick plug, after our after our main show on KTRS and the first 45 for our pod, we're going to be digging deep this week into the transfer of Sam and Deneron. We're going to go into a deeper Open Cup dive. And City has some front office news hiring former City Football Group executive who has been with Man City, Diego Gilini as the president and GM. And I probably butchered the name, but you know, that's that's <laughs> what happens when you hire somebody from uh, from Europe like that. President and GM, and so we're gonna dig into that after the show, as well as look at some MLS expansion and relocation rumors. So stick around on our podcast feed uh, for that one. And Phil, let's dig into Portland. Yeah, it's the first rematch of the year, for sure. The second time we've played Portland, but it's not going to be the, the same Portland that we saw before nope. at all. So I, I know you want to talk about some of the injuries that aren't there anymore, or perhaps you want to start with some some more city stuff first. Yeah, I mean, it's Carnell uh, hit the nail on the head about kind of referring to him as a rejuvenated Portland. And it's when we, when we played Portland the first time, it was kind of the name recognition was what was driving them. The first game we played was on March 11th. So this is, like you said, the first rematch of the year. It's not like we're having much space at all. City won that game 2-1, to one, goals by Stroud and Hebert. We played a 4-2-3-1 using Edward Leuven in the number 10 position a lot. Uh, but Portland's team was mostly without a guy like Evander. So one of their 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 highest uh, record level signing, um, their number 10 at the time. He's We'll talk about it. He's kind of positioned himself as a second striker, so to speak, lately. But he was recovering. They had some injuries during the game. It was just more or less a depleted Timbers team at the time. And so there was a lot. It was one of those games where early on in City season, it was, oh, you beat the Timbers, but they were without all these players. Mm-hmm. I think they were without... Uh, Blanco, I think they're without one of the Charas. I think Yimmy Char actually went out with an injury in that game. So they had a lot of a lot of players who are historic Timbers players out. And that was one of the games where, oh, well, City wouldn't have won or wouldn't have had a good time in Portland if it weren't for these injuries. So this is an opportunity to face a much stronger team. And we're going to get into the few injuries that they have in a little bit. But going into this game, St. Louis still sits first place in the West. We're third in the Supporter Shield. We have 19 points with a 6-2-1 record, 3-1-0 at home, and have league-leading 21 goals and 11 goal differential. While Portland comes into this game 10th in the West with just 8 points and a 2-5-2 record. They are 0-4-1 on the road. They have no wins on the road yet. That's going to be key to remember. They only have 11 goals on the season and a minus 4 goal differential. It's important to know, too, as far as part of those uh, 11 goals, Four of those goals were scored against Seattle at home on April 15th. They've had one game with two goals, five games with one goal, and two games they've been shut out. So this is a team that, aside from that outburst against Seattle at home, they haven't really done much on the scoreboard. Yeah, it's really interesting what Portland's been like this year. And, you know, I was really worried about them being, you know, we saw them before Minnesota, so they were kind of the first defensive team that likes to counter. And I was really worried about it. I thought they were going to be the first team to do to us that, what Colorado did to us in the last game. So um, yeah. it didn't happen. Like I said, they did have people out, but, you know, I'm watched. I just watched the game with um, who did Portland play last week. I'm, I'm blanking right now. I just watched it. Uh, Portland's last game was against um, FC Cincinnati. Thank you. I saw they them lost. play Cincinnati. It was a 2-1 yeah, loss. I mean, they, they had their chances and they looked pretty good, but they looked like a really similar team to what yes. we saw. And so am I confident 
Yes, but can things go wrong? We saw last week that absolutely playing a team like this, things can go wrong. So, Well, you, you know, it's funny because the power rankings have us at four and, and Portland at 23. But the interesting thing is in the descriptions about both of them, uh, road games are hard was mentioned for both teams. As we, we played away at Colorado. They played away against FC Cincinnati. But there's a difference in outcome. Road games are hard. Yet your, Rowan Berkey, your stat last week was amazing. All the teams that played away. Oh, yeah. yeah. There, were, there was only three teams total that had results who were away last week. Only one team won, got all three points. That was DC United. We were one of the other two teams to actually come away with a point. So winning on the road in MLS is hard. Yeah. It, it's unusually hard, especially in comparison to the rest of the world. It's one of the hardest leagues. We always tout the parity. Road games are difficult for MLS. And yet, whether you want to uh, uh, blame it or attribute it to the fans and the noise or if you want to attribute it to the travel and the, the just all of that that plays into it, be my guest to do whatever you want. It's just the sheer fact that road games in MLS are hard. And yeah, coming the, away with a point against Colorado, whereas they weren't able to come away with any points against FC Cincinnati. Yeah, the other comp I've seen a lot is it was everyone during those Champions League home and away knockout yeah. rounds. Everyone's like, well, it's so hard to play away. And you see these MLS guys come out with these stats about how much harder it is to play away in MLS versus Champions League. And so it's just to put it into perspective for you. Euro snobs, <laughs> I might say. Um, yeah, that's uh, it's a good way to look at it. It's pretty tough. Yeah, and both teams are also coming off of midweek matches, but both teams also rotated heavily. Um, we rotated, I think, all but Indiana Vasilev, essentially, mm -hmm. from our starting lineup. They rotated all but two players. Um, they had one returning player into their uh, their not their well into their starting lineup who left early. Um, Sebastian Blanco returned for Portland, but other than that, they should be at pretty pretty much full strength, just like we should be for our starting eleven at least. Um, so yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting stylistic match too. Uh, we've talked in the past about how St. Louis has the most direct speed to their attack. They have the second fewest passes per sequence. That all has remained the same. Mm -hmm. we, we talk about that. It fluctuates just a little bit as far as the top few teams, but St. Louis has really started to separate themselves as a very, very direct team and very few passes per sequence because we move the ball up so efficiently and so quickly. Um, Along with that, though, there's there comes some weaknesses to that in St. Louis has has regularly been weak against counterattacks. Uh, we've been weak against through balls. We're obviously not a possession oriented team and we do love the long ball. So offensively, we attack down the right hand side a whole lot. We attempt crosses a lot. We take a lot of shots when we're on our game and we're aggressive. Those are a lot of our styles of play, a lot of our uh, strengths and some of our weaknesses that we're taking into Portland. But, you know, Bradley Carnell had some interesting things to say about Portland's style, and I think it, it lends well to what the data says as well. Here's a quote from Carnell in that. Each team has a structure and, and each team has uh, difference makers and character traits, right? So we try and observe and analyze the different uh, uh, formational tweaks that they do when they have certain players in and when they have certain players out. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, for me, obviously their right-hand side is very, very dangerous uh, with Mosquera uh, bombing down the right-hand side. So, you know, is he a right back or is he a right winger? He's everything. Um, so that's very, very important. Um, and one of the things that we love to do is find out, with that kind of comment, where does a guy like Mosquera play? So Juan Mosquera has started six games as a right back for the Timbers, and he started three games as a right winger. 
he's a guy like if you if you picture what Celio Pompeo can do for St. Louis, hmm. but as one of the key contributors for Portland, he's their second highest rated player in, in the season. Uh, Mosquera has an assist and two goals. He's one of their their leading goal scorers with two. He's a guy that their offense runs through. And if you look at any stylistic sheet for Portland, if you look at any uh, ways in which they play their game. They play directly through their right side an awful lot. They attack down that right side. They attempt through balls often. So Mosquera is a guy to keep an eye on as one of the, the showrunners to their entire offense. And it, it really is interesting to me the way that Carnell describes that as uh, somewhat of a personnel shift. So depending on who's on the field, and they've clearly taken a lot of looks at who will be available and what kind of a shape they're expecting to see from Portland. Uh, we know that Portland is... Uh, good at coming back from losing positions. We know they're good at counterattacks. They're good at protecting the lead. So if they gain a lead like they did against Seattle, they're not going to lose it. Hmm. Um, they're one of those teams that even on the road like to bunker down. And they they play similar to St. Louis. So they're sixth in direct passing, fourth fewest passes per sequence. So I mentioned St. Louis being top of the league in those two ways that you move the ball. Portland's right there with them. They're not as hardcore as St. Louis is in some of those aspects. But they play a very similar style where they're looking to possess the ball 40, 45% of the time. They're looking to do what St. Louis did. These are the things we talked about, too, earlier in the season in that first match to see whose kind of style would win out. And with the personnel that Portland gave in in the first match, I think it's easy to say St. Louis won out. But it's going to be a very different game as far as that goes. I think uh, knowing that Mosquera is going to be out there is something that Carnell and team are going to be focusing on. Yeah, and they got a couple players back. I think Spria is someone who uh, is just like a dangerous player. He's so physical, um, and he's got the quality to, to finish. Um, not every time, but, I mean, he'll he'll put in a really good shot here and there. And so I know he's going to be back, and he was out last time. And, um, you know, he was talking about um, – Mosquera and comparing him to Barial and like yes. I agree with you Matt like those guys Carnell compared him to those guys and you know like they're just such veteran type players that they're not going to mess up they're not going to make a huge mistake and I think when we play Portland I think making sure you know I'm worried about them in the same way as Colorado they're similar to Minnesota where it's kind of easy to underestimate how good they actually are and how mm-hmm. solid they are in a game because they don't look flashy but they can get a lead. They're veteran players. They know how to attack. They know how to come back. They know how to hold a lead. And so, yes, protect against those counterattacks in this game. St. Louis, we can't let uh, them do what Colorado did to us last week. And the other one is just, like, limit the mistakes because Portland knows, you know, how to play a really clean game. And um, the way that we play, mistakes are going to happen. It's just part of the the deal. And so just like limiting those would be really good. Um, But, you know, part of our playing style, we'll take the mistakes if we get a few more chances on goal, right? I always find it fascinating when I'm looking up um, information on how teams play and stats and especially the the narratives driven from stats to see what teams' weaknesses and strengths are. And some of the things that we just talked about match up really well for both teams in some regards. So St. Louis is characterized as being uh, weak defensively against through balls. Portland is very strong in playing through balls, and that's a way that I think they could be trying to carve up our midfield. So knowing what our formation is going to be, I think will be very important in how effective they are in the midfield. So the midfield, that right-hand side, the way they're able to um, make some of those long passes is going to be important. But on the flip side, Portland is weak at defending set pieces, and that is historically so far a very big strength of St. Louis City, Mm. whether it's Edward Leuven or Indy Vasilev, 
they can take set piece shots. They can, they're successful at corners. Like we are a good set piece driven team. Um, part of it is we have a dedicated coach for set pieces and, and the amount of time we dedicate to training on those has, has bored fruit so far in this early season. And that's going to be one of my keys to the game I mentioned later is we have to be effective in those set pieces. And I think the other thing is going to be we can't possess the ball too much. We still need to we still need to do what we're going to do with Nico Joachini up front. So that that's going to be interesting for me to see is how is Joachini's style of play going to be different when he moves up and 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 some of the personnel on Portland. So one of the inter- so we mentioned injuries for St. Louis. We have three players who are out, um, but they're known. We haven't had any injuries this week. Portland had uh, guys like Claudio Bravo, Yimmy Chara. They both missed FC Cincinnati, but they're both expected to play with no limitations um, against St. Louis. They traveled. They're expected to play. They're not on the injury report. Whereas a guy like um, Sebastian Blanco, he returned against Orange County in the U.S. Open Cup. He's also available. They're, they're getting a lot of these guys back, like Carnell alluded to, but they still have a couple out. Um, Claudio Bravo, I mentioned earlier, he's still listed as questionable, so he's traveling, he's expected to play, still questionable. Um, Eric Williamson, to me, is the big one. He was lost to a knee injury a few weeks ago for the season, and that changes their shape entirely without him in the midfield. You mentioned Dyron Asprea. He's on the injured list as well. He's been downgraded oh, to questionable. Okay. That was just No, that was just in the last couple of hours. Okay. Yeah, his knee is why he's listed on the, the questionable report. So it'll be interesting to see if he's on uh, minutes restriction, if he starts, how, how they manage him. Because just like Mosquera, Aspria is their leading goal scorer. Two goals. He's their top-rated player regularly throughout the season. He's, he's one of the guys who drives just about everything they're going to do. And if they don't have him available, it's going to be a huge blow. Um I think Evander is the other obvious guy to watch out for. Oh, yeah. He, he took a while to kind of get up to speed on things, um, and, and he hasn't had a lot of success create creatively. But, you know, the I think Carnell had a pretty good uh, breakdown of the players and, and kind of where he sees them um, from today's press conference. And Evander, like, he's the one that got hurt early in the game. And so, they, you know, that's another thing that went wrong in that game is that yes. they had a game plan. Evander had to be one of the main parts of it. He's one of the highest paid players on the team, if I'm not mistaken. And Well, so yeah, and that, that that's first game... to look for in this next one because he'll be in. It is. In the first game, he wasn't supposed to be. He was recovering, if you remember, from the first yeah. game. And so he wasn't supposed to be in for more than 30 minutes. And that injury to Yimmy Chara forced him to be in for 60 uh, he wasn't fit. He wasn't ready to go. No. And so that changed their entire style. No, I don't think you, uh, Yumi didn't come out in that game. So I think you are confusing him with Evander. I know he wasn't supposed to play a full game, but he came out in the 12th minute. Evander did. Oh. I'm not seeing Yumi Char coming out. I think Yumi might have been out for this game as well. Well, there you go. Sorry to. Yeah, Yumi was out as well. Yumi, but, yeah, Yumi was out. So. Uh, he's in, but he's been, he's had, I was going to say that too, though, because if he's been injured, that also explains why he hasn't been effective. And just like, you yep. know, who knows when he's going to start figuring things out. I hope and not his, against St. Louis. <laughs> well, Evander's thing is he needs somebody to be his recipient, right? The number 10, he's, he's creative yeah. with the ball. In Portland, the fact that they have two goal scorers, two two players with two goals leading their team shows the ineffectiveness of, of who he has to distribute the ball to. 
And with him stepping up recently as their second striker as opposed to more mm-hmm. of a midfield role, that that's going to further change their shape and change how they push the ball forward. Yeah, and you've got some XG stats that kind of explain that perfectly if you want to lead right into that. Yeah, so St. Louis and Portland are, so on the flip side, when we're talking about XGA, expected goals allowed, it's interesting that St. Louis and Portland are tied with the most expected goals allowed, meaning that, A, this is probably going to be a high-scoring game. But on XG, St. Louis is is has 12.6 XG um, overall, expected goals. Portland with 9.5. So they're not a high goal scoring team in general. Like it's not just the fact that they have uh, low goals scored overall, but they're not producing a lot of offense to put themselves in good positions to be able to score goals. And and when you look at when you look at how teams are leveraging their XG to what they're really doing. St. Louis has highly overperformed their expected goals. So the the shots that St. Louis is getting off, they're being very clinical in their ability to finish when you look at the overall big picture, whereas Portland is doing what they're expected to be doing, essentially. they I like this stat that's a goal difference minus expected goal difference. And it's really like, are you overperforming or are you doing about what the stats say you should be doing or are you underperforming? Whereas like Sporting Kansas City is like minus 10 in this stat where they're yeah. they're highly underperforming what they should be doing. St. Louis is at a 12.9 in this, meaning the higher the higher the number, the more overperforming you are against your expected goals. Portland's right there at a one. So they're doing exactly what they should be doing with the players they have on the pitch. They're just not getting themselves into good spaces. And I think that's another key for St. Louis is Tim Parker, Kyle Hebert, they have to defend and they have to make sure that a guy like Evander has no space to work and he can't get through and they're not getting in good positions, whether it's from a cross, whether it's from a through ball, to be able to finish on Berkey. Yeah, and that's what I was about to say is we don't want to rely on Berkey like we did against Colorado. Yes, yes. team of the week was really awesome for Berkey, but we don't want to give him that too often. No. Um, you are listening to Flyover Footy. We're on the big 550K TRS. So thank you so much for joining us today. We got a few more things to talk about before we do our predictions in this one. Matt, where would you like to go next? Well, let's look at some of the other, uh, some of the other players. So one thing I like to do is make sure that everybody knows who they're watching and kind of the numbers for them. So it's, it seems a little silly sometimes, but just the key players to watch out for for Portland. We mentioned Evander. He's number 20. He's their record DP signing from Michelin. He used to play as the 10 or usually does, but he's been their second striker lately. Um, Dyron Aspria, number 27, is a forward who we mentioned is questionable, but is also their leading goal scorer. Sebastian Blanco, number 10 midfielder, one of their more creative guys, just returning from injury as well. And he shouldn't have, if he plays, um, he, he probably will have more than a 30-minute restriction, um, meaning he he played 34 against Union, or um, against, uh, uh, well, Orange County. And, and so he's expected to play more than that. Um, Claudio Bravo, number five defender, he's on the injury list as well. Diego Chara, Yimmy Chara. Yimmy Chara is the designated player. I've mentioned that he uh, was injured or he was injured earlier in the season and both of those are uh, midfielders Juan Mosquera is number 29 to watch out for uh, he's tied for lead in the goals like I mentioned and Zach McGraw is another guy to watch out for Zach McGraw is really interesting to me number 18 for them as a defender he is uh, one of the more aggressive guys on their team mm-hmm. and I believe he might be right at that line of a yellow card suspension he has four yellow card yellow cards in the season. 
Um, he he almost got himself uh, one taken away because of good behavior, whereas you you go five games without a yellow card and you get one taken <laughs> off. MLS, you're suspended for a game if you have five yellow cards accumulated. He has four, and he got a yellow card last week, which would have been his fifth game without one. So he is he's one of their more aggressive defenders, but he's also riding that line. And and that's a that's a tough line to ride because if he gets a yellow, he's out for their next game in MLS. We also, so pivoting real quick, we also have a similar concern. One thing Jared, about McGraw real quick, he scored the yeah, goal against it. us. Um, it yes. was two to one. He was the one that scored. That's all yes. I wanted to say. Sorry. Yes. H- header in the box, I think, right? Yeah, I think so. Yep. So on the yellow card accumulation front, one other thing to watch out for is Tim Parker and Jared Stroud are both toeing that line of one more yellow card and they're going to have a one game suspension and a nominal uh, fee they have to pay MLS. It's almost comical, $250 fine. Mm-hmm. But it's that one suspension. And so if they miss uh, or if they get a yellow card, in the, I was talking with uh, Ty Keo today, because um, why not name drop a guy like Ty Keo? <laughs> and he, he was saying how if they're going to get a yellow card, they know to get a, a proper yellow card. So they're not going to get one for um, for dissension. They're going to get one if when and if it matters in the game. But otherwise, Carnell had said there's no real coaching to that. You can't coach a guy like Tim Parker to say, hey, be a little less aggressive and don't get a yellow. <laughs> Parker's going to do what Parker's going to do. Stroud's going to do what Stroud's going to do. And to do anything otherwise would be a fundamental change to their the way that they play. And I think it would, that would be a detriment to City. So let them do what they're going to do. If it happens, it'll happen as they see fit. I'm sure they'll be professional with what they do. Um, so, yeah, all three of those players, Zach McGraw, Jared Stroud and Tim Parker are kind of on yellow card wash, so to speak. You mentioned that five games without uh, for good behavior. I mean, I don't see Stroud going five games without a yellow card. I just don't see it. Parker, I could for sure. But it, it, Stroud seems like it, it's just a matter of time, right? You got to you got to pick your time and, and it's picking your time in the game, uh, but also picking your time in who you might be suspended for. Right. Mm-hmm. So knowing are you going to have are you going to be without him for chicago for kansas city for you know one of these other teams and how how that's going to play into the tactical approach so you know all those things are going to be interesting to see more than likely when it happens for stroud absolutely uh well let's do our uh formations and, and uh predictions for the game do you want to want you get us started matt yeah, I'll get it started. So Carnell kind of alluded to a little bit. So he said today that uh, it's likely he'll move Joaquini up one, meaning he's going to be that pure number nine. Uh, he mentioned the flexibility of the group to play him in a different position, saying we'll have to see who we put at the 10. We have one or two plans. Oh, so that's going to be it's going to be interesting to see. But I don't see it any other way than a four, two, three, one going with. I'm going to go with Nelson, Hebert, Parker, Nerwinski in the back line, uh, Indiana Vasilev, Miguel Perez in that defensive midfield. And then I'm going to say we're going to start with Jared Stroud, Edward Leuven, and Rasmus Alm up front. Leuven, the last time he started, I believe, uh, in the 10, was against Portland. So I see us going with that again, and then Nico Joachini up front. Interesting. I am going to say uh, not the same. Just the I think we're going to have Vasilev and Leuven as the pivots, and I think Ostrak will be the 10, and then I think Alm and Stroud will play on the wings, just because I think we're playing at home, and so I want to see a little yeah. more attack than, than Leuven. I want a little extra oomph with Ostrak at the 10, rather than, you know, Leuven just being up there with two defensive guys behind oh, him. We're going we're gonna to have a conversation about Ostrak here in the wind down, and Ooh. it's going to be a good one, but uh, that conversation is why I don't think Ostrak is going to play, or at least start in this game, and I think Leuven provides some flexibility too, so if 
you know, we're kind of thinner in our defensive midfield, right? And in, in the fair. sense of yeah. the only other player is Akil Watts, maybe Aziel Jackson. But I see a substitution scenario of shifting Leuven back for Vasilev, who's played a lot the past yeah. couple of games, or That's Perez. So Leuven could shift back, and then you could slide in an Ostrak. Um, you could slide in an Aziel Jackson if he wants to play. So there's options to move Leuven back, uh, whereas I think I think we might start him at the 10. Okay, yeah, and I would, and the reason I said that I thought it might be Leuven and Vasilev is I think Leuven can play a full 90, no problem in this one. Vasilev and Perez would be nice to kind of trade on that. They put in a heavy shift in that last game, but we'll talk more about that in the wind down. Like Matt said earlier, we have a full podcast. We're not used to being so short-winded with 45 minutes here, which we're, we're creeping up on, um, so please do check out our podcast if you'd like. It's on every platform now. We just made some upgrades, so you can find us practically anywhere. Um, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, as well as any podcast platform, so please check us out there. Matt, do you want to do uh, predictions before we go on the score? And we also added a oh. new show, so if you're, if you're not familiar, we've oh, added a flyover sorry. fallout that comes out every Tuesday morning now, where we recap the previous weekend's matches so we've got we've got it all we've got shows that give you a recap shows that preview give you the news everything you need and for this match that you're about to watch uh, if you're listening to this on saturday on the big 550 ktrs or listening to it on our podcast on saturday i think it's going to be a high scoring four to two affair with st louis winning mm. i was i'm just going to say a repeat of two to one uh, i do think it'll be more intense but you know let's see if portland can defend a little uh, better away from home or the I'm same trying to have Trying to have faith in my stats that both teams are uh, defensively <laughs> yeah. um, vulnerable a little bit, and it's going to be a shootout. You had me questioning with that one, but uh, I'm going to stick with my stick to my guns on that one, which is uh, not very accurate. Um, it's starting to prove I'm, I'm not good at guessing these sort of things. So maybe listen to Matt. Like Matt said, this is Flyver Footy. It's the big 550 KTRS. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We will be chatting with you next week twice. Come back and listen, y'all. Bye bye. Go City. to the wind down we're gonna uh we're gonna open this one with a correction i tried to correct matt's mistake and uh, by doing that i made an even worse mistake so in this case would you say matt that two wrongs are able to make a right once we get to the wind down is that what's about to happen yeah i think we're okay i always think I... about the reliant k title do you guys did you ever listen to that band yes two wrongs don't make a right but four do or two lefts Ooh. don't make a right but four do. do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let's just, let's keep it going. And I like how on that one, we were kind of trying to one up each other a little bit by, cause we were half right. I think we were both half right in that where the actual thing that happened is that, um, Christian Paredes left 12 minutes into the last match city Portland and Evander came in where he was only supposed to play prescribed 30 minutes because he was still recovering that game, but he ended up going 60 and he wasn't fully fit for it. So I had wrong who he was going to sub um, who he subbed in for, and Phil had wrong that he subbed in. Yeah, I had that he came out. <laughs> so, again, like, you and I are, like, two sides of the same coin, always have this opposite thing going. <laughs> and true. We either balance each other out, or or we have half the story that we can bring together. I agree. Um, let's start with a question. Jonathan Himmelberg just asked, do they have a timeline for Nilsson yet? When he eventually comes back, who do you think he'll replace in the starting lineup? 
so Bradley Carnell has been very cagey about, uh, maybe cagey is not the right term, but he's been um, evasive about answering that question directly. Last week I asked him, uh, or it was asked, I think it was either myself or Tom Timmerman, about the timeline. And all he said is ask the medical staff, which of course we can't ask the medical staff. Mm. He's being facetious in that. Mm -hmm. Um, But the last time we heard information, it was that he'll be reevaluated in late May. And we've seen him do individual drills the past few weeks at training. He's not participated in team activities. But last week, Carnell said that the work he was doing running, because he's recovering from knee surgery, the work he's doing running, he's, he now does not need to have assi- like weights assisting him. So he's back to running with his full body weight, mm. which is fantastic for structural on your knee. Um, it's a great sign that he's on uh, on time, I would hope, for his recovery. But that late May is not is going to be back by late May. It's he'll be reevaluated in late May. Mm. So that's that whenever that's the only time it's been said. So I just want to be very careful not to get people's hopes up that he might see an appearance in May. I'm more thinking uh, realistically that League's Cup in July might be a decent time that he comes back. Maybe see some minutes here and there beforehand if he's on track. But May, I would not look to see him on the field. Yeah, we've talked about before that League's Cup is a perfect time to kind of reintroduce him and get him up to speed um, and then decide whether he's a full-time player. I think the biggest thing that we haven't talked about is like that stat came out about Hebert this week that he's uh, first in all of MLS in 50-50 duels. That is massive. So like if Nielsen comes back, he's going to have to really impress, in my opinion, to get Hebert off the field or... They're going to have to find minutes by using three center backs, perhaps, is something we've talked about in the past, which would be so much fun to see with adding Nilsson into that lineup. But, um, you know, these are all things that we have to consider. And, you know, most importantly, Carnell's going to have to figure out how to get those guys minutes. It's a good problem. Yeah. And so Jonathan followed up about a comment that they they made on the City Voice, which uh, the City Voice is the club's podcast where they do interviews with the players. And Peter Wood does that. And they did. He did mention quite a while, but that. Nilsson also mentioned that he there were two home games that he saw, so I believe they recorded that in late March after uh, after the San Jose game. So could put the timeline s- similar. So it's not uh, it's not too far off now, but at the time it was. And I think I would expect to see something similar when he does come back. I keep going back and forth of maybe we do shift into a back five. Maybe we do have three center backs. Maybe because how do you sit Kyle Hebert at this point? Right. Um, Especially knowing that our back line is so rarely subbed in like we are. Those are the four guys who see a bulk of the minutes. Um, Nelson and Hebert Nelson. And well, really, Nelson is the only guy who consistently gets subbed out, but only after a couple minutes after a few games. That's the most. Nerwinski's at one point had played the most minutes besides Berkey. Uh, Parker has only missed time for the injury his groin injury. And Hebert's only missed time because of Canadian national team duty. Mm-hmm. So they, we don't sub our back line. If you plug Nilsson in with Parker and you have Hebert go to the bench, Hebert's not going to see time. Yeah. So how do you handle that? And maybe a long run in the Open Cup is the answer. Maybe a long run in League's Cup is the answer. You know, there are ways to, there are competitions to leverage here. But the other option is three center backs using uh, probably Nelson and Nerwinski as wing backs. But then you have one less attacker. Hmm. And unless you're going to see a uh, commitment to train with that formation regularly, I, I worry that it will have the same result as we did against Seattle, where there wasn't really anything to our attack 
and we were having trouble getting the ball into dangerous positions. Well, you talked about it, and I don't, it, you know, what you guys mentioned, I think it was in the Cincinnati Fallout episode, or maybe it was this last one, um, about how Carnell says that they're well versed in the, in the three center back, you know, formation. And I, I, and you guys said some negative things about it after that, but it's, my main point here is that I don't think he's going to shy away from it by the sound of his comments. No. So. No, and and we saw for the first time uh, a willingness to go move to a five man or three center back line um, as opposed to starting the game. So it's clearly a formation that they favor in certain scenarios. Yeah, and maybe that's the answer. Maybe it's a little more fluid of a situation with those three. But we're also assuming that all three are going to remain on the team for the entire season. Um, they're completely unfounded right now, but there's speculation of like what would happen if we moved Hebert during the summer transfer window. Mm-hmm. His stock is stock is rising um, steadily, but you know, bec- and then the only reason that his name comes up is because you you have Parker signed to this big money deal. He's your vice captain. Nilsson is almost uniformly thought of as he has the potential to be the best center back in MLS, coming from. Um, uh, Offsborg and playing with the Swedish national team actively. So he's, he's in his prime. And so it's hard to say either one of those guys could, well, it's really hard to say either would be moved. I don't think that's in the question at all, but it's even harder to say they'll see anything, but in the starting lineup from Bielefeld, uh, Rasmus Alm came from Elfsborg, so that's exactly what you did there. But there you go. Or I'm wrong. And that's another second mistake. Nope. But, <laughs> nope. You're right. You had that one right. Um, I had my, my Swedes mixed up. Yeah, I love the idea. I mean, as much as I love this man, Hebert being sold to a Canadian MLS team, like I've been calling it all year, and I would be shocked if that didn't happen sooner than later. If not there, before the end of the season, like I think in, in the winter transfer window. There are roster rules that make it valuable for Canadian teams yeah. to have Canadian players, and Lutz would be smart to take advantage of that if the opportunity presented itself and we could be properly um, compensated for that. With that stat, I think someone mentioned that uh, Hebert needs to be starting over Victoria for Canada and the Gold <laughs> Cup. We could see it. We could absolutely see it. So why not? Why, why not? not? Phil Murphy asked. Notice Sebastian Blanco played in the Open Cup game Wednesday. Do you think he travels and plays with St. Louis City? Yep. What do you think, Matt? You think yes? He he was uh, photographed boarding the plane. Oh, there you go. Well done. Look at that. Yeah, there were three players who were. Um, and let's see. So Bravo. And Yimmy Chara were photographed together, I think. Blanco returned against Orange County. And so he's going to be, he's not even listed on the injury report. Um, so all three of those players, I think we may see Claudio Bravo being the um, most likely not to be seen. Yeah, that makes more sense to me as well. I was trying to look. Oh, it's not on there. So never mind. Um, I did want to say too that um, before we get too far, Nielsen did do another city voice. It just dropped 15 hours ago, actually. Yeah, that was the, that was the one I mentioned. Oh, sorry. I thought you it said was, it was a while ago. My fault. It was rec- I'm fairly certain it was recorded a while ago oh. because in the, in the comments he made of that pod, which just dropped the, he mentioned two home games oh, so far. Okay. And so that was, I try to look for those because I know they, they do these interviews periodically. They don't release them um, timely only because they're not trying to break news. These are feature pieces on players mm. and feature pieces on staff. So they they um, they record them and then they they bottle them and then they release them periodically. They're not meant to break news. So I like to try to piece True. together when they're actually recorded. Yeah. Um, 
but check out the city voice if you don't if you yeah. haven't listened i mean it's really peter wood is like man he's really good interviewer and i don't usually like club produced podcasts but my goodness that one's too it's, good not to listen to now it's so good for what it is because it gives that insight into players and, and it doesn't try to speculate on things it doesn't try to spin a narrative of a news story that's out there it doesn't try to do um pr stuff for the club it really gets into um feature pieces on players maybe one more question maybe more will come but for now uh lou boys sc on twitter asks which player benefits the most from class's energy uh, injury pardon me any city two players impressing you yeah that that was an interesting question i saw um no no city two players are impressing me i'm sorry to say but you can't really Kevin argue Glover anything else. Is on the up and up, and I we haven't seen him much with City too. So I'm really curious about Caden Glover getting a chance as maybe a sub in the next three games. Mackay Joiners looked good, but there's a difference between. I mean, there's some that have looked good. Um, Michael Wenzel's looked good on yeah, the back line. You're right. Um, but there's a difference between these players and how they're looking good versus anybody that might be remotely ready for a call up or remotely ready for a signing. And I don't think anybody's there yet. Uh, I think even, Volmer's looked good as well, actually. Volmer has looked good, yes, um, in both center back and fullback positions. Yep. And Aaron Hurd's got some time with City Two, although he not as much time again as I would have expected. Um, but so so no on the City Two front, and on the Caden Glover front, uh, Carnell had mentioned last week in comments before the Open Cup that he is still recovering and still progressing from his injury that he had at the end of preseason beginning of this season. And he's getting time with city two now, and he's going to get in the fold with the first team. What that looks like, um, whether it's a fighting for a game day roster, uh, being there on the game day roster as kind of the backup striker. I don't know what that looks like yet, Mm -hmm. but I think he has more recovery and more time on the field before we can actually say if he's somebody that, and by that time, Klaus will be back. So from tech, taking it back to the question, not even Glover is going to benefit from Klaus being out. I think the answer is probably going to be um, one of our central midfielders, to be quite honest, because I, and and this is going to dovetail if you're okay with it into Tomas Ostrak and some of the open cup stuff, because my starting lineup that I picked out there was purposefully putting three attacking midfielders with Leuven in the middle because I like all three of Leuven, Vasilev, and Perez being on the field. And when you don't have Klaus, and you don't have Sam Adeneron, and you don't have Caden Glover, your option up front is Nico Giochini. If, if Giochini's healthy right now, he's starting. And I haven't seen any inkling that he will be starting up front with anybody else other than Klaus, like thinking of Ostrak or Pompeu. I think it's Giochini. So if Giochini's up front, somebody mm-hmm. else in the midfield has to take that Klaus spot. Yeah, and and I I would actually say too that I I beat this to death, but I think this is a chance for Ostrak, who hasn't been. I mean, he has a goal; he's looked good in spurts, but he hasn't been, you know, a nail-on starter. This is his chance to get more starts and really uh, take a step forward in MLS. I want to see him get at least one goal in the next two games if I'm him, or an assist even. I think would be good. Ostrak, you mean? Ostrak, yeah, yeah. Um, because if we don't have a strike, if we have one striker, the starting striker, then we need a 10 in most cases. And if it's not Leuven, it's Ostrak, in my opinion. So, I mean, unless Ozil has impressed <laughs> enough to take that spot, which is possible. Let's talk about those two. Because in the Open Cup, um, Aziel Jackson is the guy who got all the accolades. Man of the match, two goals, 
Um, but in the first half, we were talking in our, our group chat that he looked wild out there. He had some he had some real quick runs, and he looked a little um, he, he didn't have great ball control. He looked a little like he was trying to create space for himself and losing the ball or just being a little too um, anxious, I guess is a good way to say it. Hmm. Ostrock, I thought, couldn't connect his pass as well. I, I did not think Ostrock was um, – his timing just was not in sync to me with a lot of the other players. And he, he was clearly trying to facilitate. He was trying to be the number 10. He was not trying to do an ACL Jackson. He was not trying to be like Celio Pompeo and, and go for goal. He was trying to facilitate for other players. He wasn't able to find space, I thought. He wasn't able to connect um, to lead. He Oftentimes he would – I saw at least two or three passes where he would try to lead a player and the player either didn't move I think Pompeo was one of them where yeah. Ostrock thought he was going one way and he just wasn't. Um, so there's miscommunication and there was just a little bit of space that Ostrock put between his passes and where the player was so that it was a contested ball. And, and I know Ostrock, especially with Alm healthy now has not seen as many minutes as we probably thought he was going to early. So it's possible that form is just an issue right now with, um, more or less decreased minutes, and he's kind of the guy who comes in for Alm or as a sub later mm-hmm. in the game. Um, I, I don't know. I, I thought the Open Cup was an opportunity for certain players to to highlight themselves. And Carnell said today in the press conference that players made cases for themselves on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And and at first I'm thinking, oh, did they come to him and say, oh, I, I, I'm ready to go, coach. I know I, knew I can do this. No, he meant their performances on Tuesday in the Open Cup. Guys, like I'm sure he was referring to Indiana Vasilev, Aziel Jackson, Celio Pompeu, those kind of guys. I just don't think he was referring to Tomas Ostrak as a guy who made a good case for himself. So I want to defend him a little bit, and I hate that it's coming from me because I clearly sound really biased at this point. But uh, <laughs> um, you know, I think when we talked about earlier it being four false nines um, and it was a chance for people to make a, a name for themselves. I agree with everything you said about Azil Jackson and that he, I think he saw this as a game for him to really take, you know, make a name for himself. And I think that's why he looked wild. I think he was, yeah. I mean, defensively, the man was all over the place, but also offensively, he would come back so far to get that ball at times. And that's just how yeah. he plays. It doesn't matter what game he's playing. When he played us with Minnesota, he was doing it too. He just played his game and it looks frantic and it's crazy. And he puts a lot of effort and he covers a lot of ground and he has the shiftiness that Azil has, or sorry, that, um, that, uh, that Celio has. And he just, that was his game. He was playing against a, a, a tier three team in the U S mm-hmm. pyramid and he was able to really look good in that game, as did Celio, in my opinion. Um, but yeah. he went after this game, and I think he squeezed other players out by just going all over the place. And I think Ostrak, who was supposed to be playing a false nine striker role, um, he was you know one of the two higher attackers. I think he was being responsible and staying high, which is what is needed if other guys are going to shine underneath like that. So that's my only defense in Ostrak, but I do agree that he gets lost in games a lot. And so I actually, I think it would be really helpful for us to hear if Ostrak is really valuable. Like it's hard for us to, I think to see if he's valuable, what it looks like um, and whether that's positionally defensively passing. Um, I'm curious what Carnell would say about that. If we were just sitting 
on a couch together and we were like, what about Ostrock? And I guarantee we could list a number of things that he likes about what Ostrock's doing. Um, oh, for sure. And I'm not sure what he would say about it negatively either. I'm just kind of curious, you know, about well, what my eyes are missing. Yeah, and that'd be a fruitless endeavor just because I think what he said about Pedro in his postgame comments is about as close as he's ever going to come to yeah. a negative comment about a player. And it's not it's not a negative comment. It's a constructive comment. And that if, if there was anything to say about Ostrock, I think it would be that. It would be working on his like what he can work on or work that he would work with him type of a thing. Hmm. Um, Ostrock also has a lot of versatility too. He's yeah. played all across it. He's one of those guys that we talked about at the beginning of the season that He's he can be on the field so much because he can play all three of those attacking positions. Uh, you mentioned we, we mentioned he's doing that false nine with Salio as the at least in a defensive shape, the the front two. Yeah. But he's played on the left side when Stroud has played on the right side. Mm-hmm. He's played on the right side when Jensen or Stroud has played on the left. He's played in the middle when Alm's been in the game. There's lots of options that you have with Ostrak on the field. So I don't think it's a sense of he doesn't have a space or he doesn't have a spot with the other players like Rasmus Alm. When Rasmus Alm is healthy, I think he's our, our right mid, and that's where we are right now. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't that that just means that Ostrak has an opportunity in the middle or he has an opportunity on the left. And when it comes to going all the way back to the Luboy's question of who benefits from Klaus being out, Ostrak could be a guy. Like maybe I'm being too harsh on what I saw in the Open Cup, and in Carnell actually wants to see Ostrak on the field more whether it happens at the beginning of a game or in the middle, yeah. um, if Klaus isn't there up top and Joaquini is, we're in a 4-2-3-1 more than likely. And that gives Ostrock options in the middle or on the left, assuming Rasmus Alm's in. So he's a guy who, even if he doesn't start, he's going to see time every single game, I think. Because mm-hmm. we, we, we mentioned all the time that we sub our attackers. We sub our attackers way more than we do our defenders. And that just means that guys like Jensen, now that he's he's gotten into form from his uh, ankle injury, Jensen, Ostrock, Aziel Jackson, who we talked about and made a case for himself, those guys are going to be some of the ones who are able to come in for a Rasmus Alm, for a Jared Stroud, and even maybe a, an Indiana Vasilev to see a lot of minutes. So with one striker, those are the guys who are going to benefit. Yeah, just quickly, Aziel and uh, Celio are my two favorite super subs uh, as far as like the lower end guys that come in at the end of the game. I just love seeing those guys go crazy at the end of the game. So um, that's my vote. But everything you said, Matt, I wouldn't I wouldn't hate any of that either. So and, and you know, on the the formation, I think it's interesting that we've we've played nine games in MLS and we've Gone. You remember how early we were in the four-two-three-one early in the season? Mm-hmm. It was almost like every other game. Four-two-three-one at on on, a, on the away games. Four-four-two at home. I think that's what it was. And it's shifted with Klaus in. We've played six games in a four-four-two. We've only played two those uh, first and third games, or or second and fourth in a four-two-three-one. So getting back to that, I think, is going to be interesting with Joaquini up top. It was so yeah. You have to remember too that Joaquini kind of had a knock in the beginning of the season, and so I think we all assumed from City mm-hmm. two that four-two-three-one is just like the City formation, mm-hmm. and we found out later that they were very open to playing four-four-two with Joaquini, oh, yeah. and he really cemented his role because he did so well. Um, it was very clear that Joe Keeney needed to start after a couple of games of, of full fitness. So, yeah, it's interesting now, though. Like you said, Klaus is out. So now we got to maybe go back to that 4-2-3-1. And, and we want to see more of Joe Keeney because outside chance, as however you ballpark it or, or bet it, that he's still in contention for a national team spot. And mm-hmm. he, he knows it and he wants it. He won't talk too much about it because that's not his 
personality. Um, but you could tell that he wants to get back in there. And this is as much of a chance for him as it is for anybody else. So players uh, in the midfield, I think, can benefit from Klaus being out as far as minutes. But from a this is your opportunity to be the goal scorer, it's Nico Giochini. Yeah, and you know he's going to be itching to get some more goals under his belt. Um, yeah, he's going. Yeah, he's going to want a lot this season so that he can get into that national team conversation. And I hope it, it starts working for him. Um, we got a couple really big ones we need to hit, and I think that's going to be our only two things to talk about. If if I'm right here, um, let's talk about Sam Adeniran. Um, we talked about how this would have been a perfect Open Cup match for him, but that he got yeah. that loan to San Antonio. How'd you feel about that, Matt? Or do you want to talk about the details of the movie? No, I was I was surprised. And we found out just by me asking Bradley Carnell about Sam Adeniron and Caden Glover and their availability for the Open Cup, knowing coming right off the heels of the Klaus injury and Joe Keeney going 90 minutes in Colorado. And to hear both of them being kind of summarily shut down for various reasons, it was shocking at that point to hear that they were respecting the process of Sam being loaned out because – we know that he hadn't, I mentioned earlier, 87 or so minutes, four appearances. He hasn't, he, he's been kind of, uh, kind of like a, kind of like a Selmer Pedro in the sense that he just hasn't had the opportunity, even though he had a lot of promise coming as goal scorer from USL championship last year, uh, being on loan to San Antonio. He's been on loan to, I think, Louisville? Uh, I don't think so, actually. He was at was, San Antonio last year. He was on loan to another USL site. Well, he played for Tacoma too. Yeah, that's right. That's what I was going to say. Um, so he, he's had a lot of success there. So this is his natural progression, right? You have a, you're successful there, and you would expect that for the low value we, we paid Seattle for his rights, this is a no brainer to bring him on and develop him and keep him going. I think he's like 24. He's 24 years old. But the thing with strikers is Nico Giochini said pretty clearly a few weeks ago the striker mentality, mm-hmm. and that's pervasive in strikers. And you have to have that that edge to you and that desire and the consistency. So if you don't have the consistency, you're not going to be in form and you're not going to be the best version of yourself. And that seems like what happened with Sam Adeniron. The opportunity wasn't there. But the interesting thing on the opportunity is we talked a few weeks ago about the striker position being seemingly a – um, shallow position because of our 442 formation. And so that's the thing that surprised me the most is it's not that Klaus was injured and we did this because it, the move was in progress before that. It's that Caden Glover's not there yet and Klaus and Joachini are in a 442 are strikers. So if you take one out and you don't have Sam Adener on, you're basically saying we're changing shape. We don't have the depth to go straight to a 442. But the Open Cup kind of changed my mind a little bit. And and so the two things I'll say before I let you speak on this is that Lutz mentioned Sam will get valuable minutes and a chance to continue his professional growth in a competitive league at the USL level. So that tells me that they want him to get more minutes and they want him to be a consistent contributor for a team. Um, I, assuming they bring him back because he's not on like the a Klaus or Leuven multi-year deal hmm. – um, I think that they're just hoping that he will he will continue to grow and have a have a spot to come back to. At the same time, the Open Cup showed me that we do have a lot more options up front than I think anybody really considered in Celio Pompeu front and center, but also possibly Aziel Jackson, depending on how our shape looks. And I don't know the the domination that we had against 
Union Omaha really had me thinking that the the world is bigger than just Klaus, Joachini, Adeneron. It is, yeah. And I'm I'm just curious if if maybe this is making room for someone, um, in addition to everything you just said, Matt, but you know, I just like to say some eye test things to back up with some stats on Sam. Um, I think he did a really good job in every way except goals, except for scoring. And, you know, he had eight shots, two were on target. Um, we saw a couple, um, I don't remember which game that was that um, we were really trying to catch up at the end of the game. I think it was the Minnesota game he came on. And, yeah. and uh, Klaus had worked so hard on that wing, got the ball. And Sam did such a good job getting into a good position, receiving the ball, bodying the guy off, and then just like really messing up the finish. A um, couple other sitters or a couple other headers that really should have been on target. Um, and they just weren't. And so I think he's very close. I just want to say, because those are semi-negative things, that we've mm-hmm. given him four games to play in. He's gotten 87 minutes. With Seattle, he's only gotten 72 in 2022, 59 in 2021. Yeah. And so similar minutes to last season with Seattle Sounders, but in that amount of time, he got one shot off under Seattle. But he's gotten eight shots with St. Louis and two of them on target. That's a good His, trend, right? Like, he, yeah. we're getting him the ball more often. He's gotten shots on target, and he's gotten shots. Maybe he just needs some more seasoning, and I hope San Antonio helps him, but I think he needs time on the top tier to be, to get better. So I'm curious how this plays out. I'm curious what City is, is thinking. Maybe they're going to bring in another striker uh, because I don't know if we plan on going the rest of the season with two strikers. We can call him back. That's another thing is that we can call Sam back if we want. I just like, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a head scratcher of a move. Um, and I don't doubt the team, you know, look at what they did in the open cup. Like we said, their plan worked and they planned on not having another striker in that game and it was fine. So it's just interesting if Klaus goes down again or if Nico goes down again. Like, what's the plan, guys? <laughs> yeah, and, and 30 of his 87 or so minutes came against Minnesota. And that was the game where he had that sitter uh, from Klaus. And that so that's uh, he had four shots. So of his, of his total shots, he, four came against Minnesota. So that was his time to shine. And beyond that, it's just the, the opportunity hasn't been there. Mm. I do I do agree that nine games is a small sample size. And just because he hasn't had the opportunity yet, Klaus just went down with an injury. You know, those, these things happen. And I would have thought that a, not alone, but some opportunity with city two would have been more of a, more of a thought than loaning him to USL hmm. because that's a, that's a, more permanent move. It's not a permanent. It's not a sense. Like we can recall him. That was a part of the deal is that we can recall him from loan, uh, but, but you know what I mean? Like if, if you wanted him to get minutes, if you wanted him to get opportunity to play like city two exists down there. And I guess I thought I would have thought the city two would have been used more for that. Like it's being used with AZL Jackson. He's, he's gotten time with city two down, uh, to, to grow and develop. And we saw what he did with city on the open cup. I guess I would have thought the same Adeneron would have been a player like that, where you, you let him. You let him rock at City Two for a little bit to get his form and, and stay sharp, um, but that just it doesn't seem like for some of our players that is even Pedro to a to an extent. Like if he's not going to get time with City, why not let him? Why don't let him cook in City Two? Yeah. But we haven't leveraged those kinds of players. Um, I guess I'll call them at this point fringe players with City. With City Two, it's been more focused on 
growing and developing the academy players or the UPSL players and and some of the direct signed signings to City 2. Um, but I guess, I, I don't know, I guess that makes sense in that regard why we'd loan him out. Yeah, I, I just, I don't know. Um, it is a bit of a head scratcher because at least for another, we're, it's the end of April now, so at least for another two plus months, this is who we're riding with. Summer transfer window doesn't open until July, so even if a Bobby Firmino appears uh, <laughs> somehow in St. Louis, that's still two and a half months of two strikers, assuming both are healthy. Jonathan Himmelberg definitely said, yeah, making room for Firmino. I wish. Yeah, that'd well, be great. <laughs> the, the other note on Firmino is that um, we have now three open roster slots and we have two open international slots, which we would need one of each for Firmino. And money aside, like, yeah, that I would expect um, – Almost, I, w- I would bet some money on this one that we're going to sign somebody in the summer transfer window. Okay. At what position it is, uh, from what country, I don't know. But I would bet anybody any amount of money that we make at least one signing in the summer transfer window. Oh, yeah. I think so, too. Do you think we make a striker signing? I think that's pretty specific. I would bet a lesser amount of money on that one. Yeah. Probably still bet an amount of More money. because of this Sam loan, though. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, I, I'm but... still not quite getting it unless like the, uh, uh, this is the last thing I want to say about it is that maybe Caden Glover has earned a lot of minutes. So maybe he becomes a regular player like a Miggy Perez, who's basically our third midfielder right now. Yeah. Could Caden Glover be that third striker? And maybe the answer yeah. is yes, because Why not? the thing that bothers me, Caden is pretty tall, I think. Uh, the thing that bothers me is how often I was saying how we, we send the ball to Alm over and over and over. And it drives me crazy if he's not able to bring that ball down. Nico's not much better. Now, he does make a few moves in the game to really send someone forward and and break out. Even though he's short and small, he's able to figure it out from time to time. But it really helps having a Klaus. And, you know, I think Sam would have served that purpose, even if he wasn't perfect at it. Can Glover do that? I I feel like we need at least one big person in our upper lineup. And I may be wrong about that, but that bothers me a little bit. The thing to watch for me in the next few games is going to be how well Nico Giochini does further up. So we heard Bradley Carnell say straight up that Giochini's taking that move, like he's going to be used in the Klaus role. giochini yeah. has been very successful at both distribution and goal scoring when he's been able to play underneath sometime, either underneath or or next to, mm-hmm. um, but not the guy up top. So Having that role, I think his ability to distribute is similar to Klaus, and so that's going to be pretty consistent. But the positioning, I think, is the thing for me. Is with with Alm and Stroud presumably um, on the wide sides. Like, is Joaquini going to find the correct amount of space that deep where he it's at a position for where he's been playing the past few games? So that that's the interesting thing for me to watch. Um, But with the Klaus, like we talk about it now because it's pertinent, but Portland and Dallas are likely the two games that Klaus misses. It is a pretty, if he progresses as we think he is and, and hopes to, he should be back by the fire, the second fire game hmm. on the 13th. Um, <laughs> yeah. Second. Whether it's game. a, yeah. So, you know, that, that's how long we have to think about um, not a stopgap necessarily because I think we have the offensive depth to cover. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just think Nico's going to need a lot of support. He he's an inner, he likes to play. You know, he likes to 
play yeah. off of people. And so he's the second striker. You know, that's his most comfortable position. He can definitely finish. But as long as he's got support, I think he's get, we're going to be just fine. So I think, you know, if Ostrak starts, he's going to have to really play a big role in that regard. We know our wingers can can help in that. Um, but it also makes me think about your shout about Leuven at the 10. He might be the best support Nico could ask for up top, looking at how he positioned himself as a 10 in the Open Cup game. He was really good. And and Rasmus Alm, I don't think we've talked about him enough in um, – just how effective he's been in the attacking third when he's been on. He's been in great form lately, and he's going to provide a lot of assistance to Joachini up top and to the point where um, Manuel Veth mentioned him as a possible option at striker or at least high up the field. And so knowing that he has that finishing capability is going to add to what Joachini can do. They're not going to, I think, truly be together up top, but I think you're going to see a lot of um, a lot of playing off each other. For Joe Keeney and Alm. Yeah, I love what you guys said about Alm. Um, and that when he got that goal, um, I think it was like the fallout for Cincinnati or something. You guys yeah. were talking about Alm and and uh, Santiago said his vision, like his vision, really is good, and he's so good on the counter attack, and he doesn't get caught up in the counter attack itself. He keeps his head on a swivel. He's looking for the pass, and he's willing to shoot as well. He's so he, good at at, at uh, progressing the ball in a counter attack. It's he's awesome. He's really good. He, he had that that side heel pass. Remember in transition yeah. against Cincinnati to Joaquini. It was my favorite. That's, yeah, it was so it was so Loved pretty it. and like the timing that he had to have to make that work. That's the exact kind of play that I think gives you a lot of excitement to see more of Alm and Joaquini play off each other. That was his first chance to show some finesse because he's been a lot of speed and dribbling and shooting and passing. Yeah. But that was boy, that was that was very nice. When for Alm, Carnell talked a week or two ago about. Uh, when he came back, I think when he, when he played against Cincinnati or maybe even the match before it was not physical with him because he had recovered. It was mental. Mm. You need to get in there. You need to have experience yeah. and trust yourself and the confidence. He has that now. Yeah. He's he was one of the players that was in the interview room today. And you could see just the excitement to go in and do whatever is needed and to be uh, just a, a part of the system. And it, I think he's in the type of form that we need, given Klaus being out. That's a Lutz find. He's a perfect piece for this team, so that's really awesome. We yep. got one more piece of news we got to finish here um, before we go, and that is the uh, former City Football Group executive with Manchester City, De- Diego Gigliani. I'm going to say Gigliani uh, was hired as the president and GM for St. Louis City, which is a role that Carolyn Kindle was filling before this and uh Matt you know this I think this was a massive surprise to everyone don't wasn't it it was to me oh oh for sure and so this morning we're recording this on Thursday night this morning um Tom Bogert from the athletic now and um hmm. some other some other reports broke that Giuliani was being named the president and GM. And I think the GM part is what throws everybody off. Yes. Because Americans, especially, right? Yes. (laughs) So the immediate knee jerk reaction from the, from the, the report or from the leak, from the anonymous source that Bogart had is, is that nothing's changing currently with Lutz and that Giuliani is going to be coming to city this summer after, after his duties with man city rap uh, in this season. So you start to you start to go into panic mode, right? Mm-hmm. Seeing a, a new GM, president GM, come on uh, in a few months. So you could see, oh my gosh, they're this is succession planning. This is they're giving him a runway to take 
for, for Lutz to hand this off. And so that's what happened before the club released their statement. So naturally, that's where all the, the thought process was going. The club's statement, though, really makes it seem like it's more of a re- it's more of filling a role that Carolyn Kindle herself had been doing. I almost said replacing, but that's not the, really the right thing. So Carolyn had been the CEO and president of the club. She took on the president role. And if you remember, like if you look at other clubs, the president role is pretty all encompassing and can include some direct oversight of the sporting department. Um, I know that I want to say Garth Lagerway had a president role with either Seattle, maybe Atlanta now, but in addition to like a sporting director, somebody, but they're like, uh, that role president does have some usual oversight to the sporting department. A GM role absolutely has oversight into sporting departments. And so when they announced him, his roles saying that as president and GM, he's going to report directly to Carolyn Kindle, who now will only hold the chief executive officer role with city. Uh, Gigliani's, Managing his his day to day is going to be he's managing all day to day operations of the club across the sporting revenue marketing experience operations administration and community departments. This is pretty extensive to kind of all of the heavy hitters that city has been um, involved in. So you're talking about areas from what Dennis Moore used to do as uh, the kind of the chief revenue officer. You're taking the revenue. Mm. You're taking the marketing group, you're taking Seebeck's experience, Matt Seebeck's uh, chief experience officer, uh, assumedly uh, being reporting to Giuliani. Uh, you're taking the operations of the stadium, the game day, you're taking it admin and all the community outreach departments. That's that's the club, right? And so day-to-day of all of that. But the first thing I mentioned is sporting. So while, yes, there has been, the club has specifically stated that this is not any part of a succession plan that Lutz is remaining, has no plans to leave that they, I mean, they've like, I, I, this is like an opportunity to see proof in the pudding. Right. So I have never seen the club say one thing specifically and do another in this way. And so I don't have any reason to believe that now is any different. And I also don't really have any reason to believe that Lutz is going to suddenly pivot and move away from any plan or thought that he had when he first signed. Um, I still think we have at least a few years left of Lutz, even if he's looking or receiving offers uh, from from other uh, clubs or countries, because he's a hot commodity. We both know that. Like he's, yeah. they're seeing what he's doing. And and the last thing I'll say is, I think, I think there's going to be a. It's one of those organizational kind of. Um, they're going to have to figure it out as they go. Where Giuliani might have like revenue related oversight to the sporting department. You know what I mean? Like if Lutz wants to go and spend X amount of money on a transfer fee or sign a player, sign a U22 or something, maybe he goes to Giuliani and that's what the sporting oversight includes. I I don't know. All I know is that as a fan, I'm still fully expecting Lutz to be on board for the foreseeable future for his role in scouting, developing, um, identifying, signing, and really managing the sporting department to be entirely unchanged. Yeah. And I think, you know, I hope I'm not over repeating what you said, because you kind of said this, Matt, but I think when an, I say too much, well, no, I just like an American, if an American hears the term GM, we think of Mozilliak, right? And, and his former role. And Gersh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And um, as the Cardinals GM, that was a sporting role. Right. Yep. And so we think about that and we're like, wait, you know, my first thought was, oh, God, 
where's Luis going? What's happening? And, um, yep. you know, just from people I've been able to talk to that that's not something to worry about short term. Like, I think Lutz is still like on board. Nothing's going to change there. Um, but that was our first thought is like, is he going to take a role or is he there to kind of take the roles or take the reins from Lutz because he might be a hot commodity around the world. He might have a chance to leave and he might see a, a, an offer that's too good to refuse. Uh, but I think, you know, my main thought there is that, um, Yes, Carolyn Kindle is in charge 100%, but you you felt like you hear Lutz say something like, you know, this is an initiative that's very important to us and to me. Um, and it's something like, you know, the the urban initiatives to try to bring in everyone to play for free at a young age, the Futures program and all these things that he's doing. And then on top of that, like, the style of play that he's able to, you know, go after and the players, the kind of players, the designated team thing kind of makes a lot of sense. So we hear Lutz say something publicly and then we see it happen in real life. Mm -hmm. And so we're we're used to we're able to see that Lutz is able to say something and then get it done in real life as, yeah. as fans. And we don't know what that looks like behind the scenes. But, you know, Kendall, Carolyn Kendall did not get in his way to her absolute credit. Oh, yeah. Um, and because clearly the guy's doing a great job. And so, you know, my initial worry was like, is this Giuliani going to get in the way? I don't know. He still could. You know what I mean? Like, I I'm not going to say that he is. The league's, you know, sorry, the club said in the release that they're no, you know, Lutz isn't losing any of his responsibilities. He's not cutting into it. And from what I've heard, that's, that's true. I don't think they're worried about that. Right. But it is still another cook in the kitchen. You know what I mean? That's, that's just as like a, a casual fan kind of comment. Like he's still there and you know, Lutz may have an idea. And if Giuliana gets in the way, I'd hate to see that if it's something that's been working so far without him around. But you know, the last thing I'll say is that Carolyn Kendall's, you know, focusing on long-term projects now mm. too. And so that's another change Cheater. is that, you know, she's still around. She's going to have like overall vision kind of stuff. And then we'll just see how Giuliana Giuliani plays out in the in the future mixing with Lutz. And I'm not too worried about it. The The club has been so good. And I know that's what you're going to kind of finish with here, Matt, because like it, the club hasn't made any missteps and there's no reason for us not to trust them, in my opinion. Yeah, but at, I'm listening to, to you and, and hearing myself talk about um, what our knee jerk reactions were and what we're looking at. I tend to think that we're being a little too narrow in our view of what this is. Never, and, never. <laughs> but it, and, and I'm, I'm, I reread the the press the press release that they put out, and so Giuliani came from City Football Group, working with Manchester City on a lot of relationships with their international football clubs uh, in the EU, Latin America. Uh, he was on the board of directors and worked directly with club CEOs and sporting directors to set targets, provide direction, yada, 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 corporate speak. Everything that all these quotes from Carolyn Kindle, from Gigliani, they relate to, and I'll say one from Carolyn Kindle here. Um, after a long and extensive search, we look forward to welcoming him to one of the best sports cities in America. As we continue to grow our reach and leverage soccer's popularity to increase interest in everything St. Louis has to offer. She talks about how his incredible amount of international soccer experience helps them take will help take them to the next step in their ambitious journey to become a global soccer brand. And then his quote relates to 
it, it was evident the club is deeply committed to leveraging the power of the sport to positively impact this region, but also mentioning hmm. how you look at soccer's continued growth in the U.S., MLS new partnership with Apple, the World Cup coming. It's undoubtedly a unique and special time to come back to the U.S. And he mentions growing St. Louis City SC's reputation. So uh, all of that, like the, the global aspect to me is where this is really going to come through. Mm-hmm. Like we know the ambitions of this ownership group to not only be the perfect community neighbor and to improve our community, but to help put St. Louis on the map. This is the, the, the ownership group has roots in that STL made initiative as well. And all of the marketing that goes into touting St. Louis on a global level, this hire speaks more to that than it does any involvement in the sporting department. The more I think about it, I think pulling all of these pieces together, using his connections and being able to, with the world cup coming to the U S in 2026, put Hmm. St. Louis, St. Louis on a map like never before. And, and kind of taking what we, what we talk about as America's first soccer capital and being a soccer city and just blowing that up in proportions that we haven't really ever considered. And so whether it's marketing or whether it's opportunities to partner with clubs or to be visible on a global level, I just think this is this this should be viewed more as like the first or, or a next step in that conversation and that evolution than it should be about his involvement in signing players or doing what Lutz is doing. Yeah, so well said, Matt. I, I love that. And, you know, we always say things individually, but as a podcast, I think we fall uh, perfectly somewhere between I think what we just said I, I, I just love that you I think you nailed it there um, we're going to close out with that because it was I think you it was a mic drop comment there Matt really well done um, to finish I forgot to say that I'm having this second shift Brulegans hey, this is one. one of the best IPAs I've ever had I think they used to do a double IPA and I was a little scared to try it because uh, I one of those will knock me out I'm a, I'm a little guy uh, but man, this is amazing. This is they so have those good. at City Park too. Oh, I didn't know that. We're in the yeah. markets, or yep, yeah, oh, the markets. You know, the markets at the supporter section they have them. Okay, it might it might become a mainstay for me. Just wanted to kind of throw that out there. Luligans do a lot of things right. Uh, you know, no exceptions here with this one. Um, all right, that's it from us, me and Matt Baker here. In a couple days, you're gonna hear Matt again on a flyover fallout, another review of hopefully a Portland uh, win against Portland, rather. Hopefully. So, thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. See ya.